1: i don't know if okay. if you all have issues with your cats uh scratching shit up oh yeah but we got um those little plastic like claw caps uh-huh absolute fucking game changer
2: really
3: how do you put them on how
1: yes exact same question you so like we i don't know if you all trim your cat's nails or you take them somewhere or we whatever. trim them but we've trimmed his nails like since he was a kitten. So he doesn't mind too much. But basically like you trim them and then you just have the little caps and you put a, a dab of glue in them and you just like pop it on the nail. Okay. Hmm. Oh. Um. And I checked with my friend who is a vet. I was like, are these cool? And she was like, yeah, they're totally fine. So
0: All right. do they look like little little manicure?
1: they do sell colored ones (laughs) so you can get different colors and it's really funny because now he like makes little click sounds when he walks
3: so you can hear him coming just because he he got his acrylics one of the fun things about this room is it is full of people who are brilliant tacticians and i think all of them when presented with new possibilities immediately imagine the things that they could do to take advantage of those things
0: if we use this feather weave whether or not it came from the syndicate or a different source the story is the same we control the narrative the implications across the skies are that different
3: weave exists, and that might be enough. Sifa smiles brightly. I can see why Oromar chose you for Helm.
2: You think very much the way he does. But the advantage that the Syndicate has over us is they know where this new weave is comes from. Do they? We only know where we got it from. I mean... They had to have put it on the civility from somewhere.
3: I mean, the weave that you have, or the weave that you sold us, is a truly remarkable amount of weave. More than anyone has seen in one place, not spread across several ships. It was just sitting there. I I haven't taken time to study it. Is the weave all in one piece? And I'll let y'all know now, because we didn't really care to investigate it. We just cared about the amount before. We didn't care about the properties. But I will tell you now, the weave is not all in one piece. You know, it is very long strips that have been folded together. And some of them are, you know, incredibly long, but it is different, very long, very large pieces of weave. Kringle turns to Leotoa, uh, Leo, do you know how much the Youngbloods offered for this weave? Leotoa shakes their head. The broker is good at a lot of things, but chiefly among those things is keeping his secrets. Leotoa turns to Gable and Jonnet. If you would care to share. Oh, I don't remember that. Ugh. It's okay. I will be your memories for you. It was two Thank you. million gold bars. Two million gold bars.
0: Oh yeah, because like it was exorbitant.
3: And a deed to an island.
0: I thought uh, Longfellow gave us the island.
3: No, Longfellow does not possess that island. Uh, Longfellow was like somewhere in the hundreds of thousands of gold bars and like and meat a free stay at his ranch.
2: Uh, And if you
3: stayed on property, which you would be, you'd be able to book 60 days in advance. Your fast passes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. That's right.
3: And how much
0: did the syndicate want to buy it back
3: for? Syndicate was going to buy it back for full pardons, university scholarship for everyone on the Uhuru crew, and two generations out of their descendants, and I think like a hundred thousand gold bars.
2: John, it kind of like a little bit a little like a little like braggy, but also serious, but a little braggy. He's like Yeah. Well, we were going to we were going to fetch a Cool two million off of that. Gold!
3: Two million lumens I.
0: It was exorbitant.
3: Tiberius young blood was impulsive, but also a careful tactician. It would explain the red feather behavior surrounding Bougeneith. Yeah, they were looking to reclaim the whole city just to get their hands on that stuff.
0: But the red feather offer, while generous was not exorbitant and not desperate,
3: certainly not. But look at the plays that were on the table. The Red Feathers did put a tantalizing offer in front of you, and had they not go- gone up against a secret bid of two million gold bars, it would certainly be competitive. The thing that the Red Feather Syndicate did plan to do was surround the city. They were going to seize not just the missing weave after you chose to hand it over to us, but seize the entire city itself. The brokers maneuver to cast that dreadful spell and kill all those people, all those red-feather soldiers, that stayed their hand somewhat. I do believe there was a battle after you left. We should
0: check up on the broker see if he's okay. Yeah. He's our, he's our little bird friend. We need to-
3: <laughs> From what we know, he is fine. The maneuver, I believe, worked. But again, the Red Feather Syndicate deciding that they are going to take Boujanith is not something to take lightly. Bujaneeth is a place the Syndicate could freely deal with powers that that are outside of the red feather scope, as it were. It is the one place to do all the illegal things the syndicate needs to do to line its pockets. Let's think about Youngblood. An offer of two million bars. Even for Youngblood's holdings, that is a huge offer. And out of this weave, like, we're getting maybe three Ironside ships Youngbloods, if they were going to build traditional wooden ships, those would be about four or five. That's not insignificant, but when you compare it to the, you know, four or five dozen ships that the Youngbloods have under their control, like that's just a drop in the bucket. So, why the move on that? I'm assuming he never intended to pay you, but there was always the outside position that he would actually have to honor that agreement if he couldn't catch the Uhuru.
2: I mean, the motivation behind such a large amount for such a small amount of weave might indicate, I don't know, how rare this stuff is. Maybe the the source that they got it from isn't around anymore. They could have destroyed the facilitating place. And if that means that they have just this one source of weave, then it's so important to them to keep it under wraps.
3: Or they don't know. They don't know where it came from. They just know wherever they got it. And tracking down those sources, they can't find a way to fabricate it for themselves.
0: How would lung... How would lung blood... Ooh,
3: gross. (laughs) (laughs)
0: How would Youngblood know?
3: I mean, he was high ranking in the syndicate, right? Like, he was leading several ships. He's the member of the Youngblood family that has stayed in the Redfeather military the longest.
0: Uh, no, do you, we? We don't think he made it. No.
3: No, if he made it, no. he wouldn't want to buy it back.
0: That's yeah. That just that was see. I'm spitballing. We're all saying very smart stuff, and sometimes hey, you need to say a silly thing. Hey, no, no, just come to get it out on, of Gable. your brain. What? <laughs> We've been at okay. this for great for twenty just minutes. Gotta, no, you're good. Just, <laughs> just, just trying to wrap, wrap the brain around it. But, <laughs> the, but now that's off the table. Continue. <laughs>
2: But did the mariner make it? No, 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 no. No, okay, that's...
0: We're spitballing, and that's fine, and no one should judge us for it.
1: What if it somehow occurred in nature?
3: Everyone raises their eyebrows and takes a moment to think about that. Krampus is the first to break the silence but who
1: the queen well, I, I don't know perhaps or perhaps perhaps it comes from an animal or or grows from a tree i don't know i mean we've seen that it's not one large piece of feather weave but smaller pieces and if it were manufactured there's no reason it couldn't be one giant bolt
3: that would be if it was manufactured from the same place. Perhaps the weave that was captured was manufactured from different places and merely gathered in the hold of the civility until they could figure out what to do with it. Neither one of those ideas invalidates yours that perhaps this just comes from somewhere that is not mortal hands.
2: Or time. What if, how we, do we know how old this weave is? Maybe this is the oldest weave, and with enough time, the properties of it change.
3: Well, the oldest piece of feather weave is held in Aurum. It is notorious uh, for being the first piece of weave that was sold by the man who created it. So the story goes. It was sold to the Queen of Aram, or, you know, ruling magistrate of Aurum, as that city is no longer the nation that it once was. But it was sold to her, and eventually the people that made it figured out the things that it could do. And about the time the Red Feather. Company became the Red Feather Syndicate. It was purchased back. Now it is held in a private display near the military academies that the Red Feathers hold.
0: I'm trying to decide if this is silly. It, are we getting any indication that it might be worthwhile to check, like magic, see if there's like a magic influence? On you totally one the other. could.
3: Yeah. You. I mean, you've done. The experiments that you have, but like people in this room, definitely have different perceptive experience.
0: I think I'm going to try to detect magic or source yeah. of magic. Okay, let's see. How am I going to? Well, how how will I roll on this? Would Wait, I for use you, a magic this skill is a or divine would I use a perception check. skill?
3: Yeah. Use divine. Okay, thank
0: you. What is it against? Daunting. Shh fuck me (laughs) (laughs) you might get it what what is daunting
3: Uh, daunting is for purple Uh, all right okay okay well (gasps) the off mic audio of us trying to figure out the dice that we've been reading for years is so valuable to me
2: it's, it's a combination of of humming and and uh, hum, I don't uh, you can you can really feel every thought, James. That's
0: three
1: failures. Oh wow! Just just three failures. We're really shit in the bed
3: today. That's
0: three failures. Yes, indeed. Oh, and a threat. <laughs> oh, a threat.
3: Okay, okay. Um, so you flick your eyes open to look at this weave and you know you see a magical construct in front of you you know you can see that this is a magical thing it is hard to determine you know what separates this thing because like you don't study magic you know you can tell that this stuff isn't evil and, like, you're, you're, you're just looking at this new weave. So, like, yeah, looking at it, you're like, well, it's not evil. And that, that's what I've got most, like, experience determining. And then you, you look up to, like, take a moment to think. And uh, you see outside, uh, looking in the window, a dark-robed figure.
0: Oh. Give points. Hey!
3: Everyone turns and... Gable from their perception is just pointing at the air oh no And oh no <laughs> in a moment like Oromar turns and looks to see that you are pointing at the air and then freezes and is stiller than he has been and then he draws his sword
2: seeing that Jonet draws the the sickle end of the kasari gama
3: Yeah I, like this is a this is a room full of people who have been living that yeah. hard life all of them draw weapons and like the tempest armada crew like you can tell it's uneasy cuz they are looking in the direction that gable is pointing and they're looking Kind of at the Uhuru crew because they know that you're not pointing their weapons at them, but they also don't see the thing that you are seeing.
1: I think Travis pulls a gun and points it in that direction, but kind of whispers to Gable, like, Hey, you're going to have to tell us what you see because we're all pointing at nothing.
0: I think when Gable realizes that only they can see it uh, they eyeball the captain to kind of confirm we both know what this is right
3: the captain winks
0: okay and the the figure isn't making any moves
3: not moving yet no I don't want to freak people out
0: Gable gestures down to the captain to bring their rifle or bring the revolver
3: down uh well the captain's pointing his sword and like you can do that oh, pointing the sword the captain will not move. Like you can f- feel as you touch him, his body is tensed. That he is the decision to lunge has already been made. He is deciding what the best moment is to do it.
0: Okay, and the figure's still not moving.
3: Figure hasn't moved yet. No. Okay,
0: I'm going to do a quick spell. Yeah. Uh,
3: why do I put these away? Did you put your dice away? Well, I mean, you know. I'll that's put a, them back in the bag. It's a reasonable conclusion. Want an episode? Once in yeah, four hours? I did my roll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to do a quick, like, warding slash banishing thing oh, cool! get this
3: away as fast as possible. Yeah, I love this. Um, this is definitely a divine what check. What is the difference? Difficulty, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to put it at heart.
0: James, that is two failures and a advantage.
3: Okay. So here is what happens. Describe for me, what does banishing look like in terms of, you know, this is the first time we've seen this bit of divine magic?
0: It's a shield that just presses forward. So kind of like, almost like, a gentle push just like you can't come any further
3: I I think Gable like puts their arm forward and like there are tiny like licking wires of gold fire that sort of weave around and form this barrier and Gable like kind of pushes that forward to bar the room and that's when this thing moves and it moves like a billowing shadow, um, and like part of it does connect with that gold shield, and it like rears back from that. And you know, I'm trying to describe this in a way that is not like Dementors from the Bad Wizard books, but like you know, <laughs> it's got that quality, that like like horrible shadowy, smoky quality with like awful tendrils to it. Um, But it does manage to snake around them, and it looks like it is going to lash forward. And, Gable, you can see from the angle that it looks like it's going to lash forward, it is going to strike at Travis. Travis, in this moment, you feel some of your life force eke away, and there is an explosion of movement that cuts through the captain looks like he moves in a jolt and then immediately collapses and Gable, in like your vision of like detecting magic and and, and seeing you know evil and whatnot, you see the shade of the captain explode from the body and holding a sword cut into this thing and that severs it and it dissipates into billowing smoke smoke that now fills the room and like glides around so that everyone can see there's another draw from you Travis take a total of four strain as the captain's body jolts once again and maneuvers itself into a standing position
0: Gable puts um, a arm on the on the captain's shoulder just to look and see everything.
3: OK. I mean, it's so hard to tell with the captain, because like with a living person, they might be breathing heavily or sweating. The captain is not the captain turns to you and does wink. So there you go. It's <laughs> a good sign. Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I sincerely hope everyone is enjoying this week's episode, because you're about to enjoy it a heck of a lot more. In the second half of today's episode, we're going to be featuring a new piece of music by Arnie Parrott. I am extremely excited about this song, but also recording this mid-roll before I have heard this new song, so I don't want to give away any spoilers. Spoilers. But if you like it, be sure to give Arnie a thank you for me. The other big news is that the first part of our Courier's Call Jolly Jack miniseries went up yesterday. That is an all-new Courier's Call side story where our favorite apprentices from the Red Audren encounter Jolly Jack. Played, of course, by Patrick Rothfuss. It also features performances by myself, Ali Grauer, Drew Merzieski, Poglomi Pertap, Aaron Kitano-Sayaz, and Mel D'Amato. If you're a backer on the OneShot Patreon at the $5 level or more, you can already listen to the first part. And if you did listen to the first part, don't worry, the next one is going up next Tuesday. Of course, the release of this new miniseries is in preparation for the second season of Skyjack's Courier's Call. The launch of that new Kickstarter is not far off, and if you want to find out as soon as it launches, be sure to head over to bitly crew to join the Campaign Skyjacks mailing list. That's the first place to learn about all sorts of exciting things in the world of Campaign Skyjacks, and we're definitely planning to send more than a few goodies that way during the Kickstarter season. As always, a huge thank you to our backers on Patreon. Without you, we wouldn't be able to make this show as wonderful as it is. Patreon support not only pays our cast, our editor Casey Tony, but it also helps us get new music from the wonderfully talented Arnie Parrott. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us already, and everyone who's gonna support us in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky! <music> Apologies.
1: Do you want to tell us what's going on? What
3: was that? Perhaps does it have something to do with your new affliction veil? And, you know, he turns to look at Sifa and, you know, it it is impossible to understand what emotions might be running through him. But his eyebrow does twitch a little bit. Not an annoyance, but like it is trying to make an expression that it simply can't.
0: We have a known enemy, who, though immaterial to our present circumstances, will appear. Not with so much gusto as just occurred.
1: So, you're saying that was just a fun, incidental other thing to worry about? It was the stone.
0: It's just kind of a hard thing, and I don't want these other people to worry about it.
1: <laughs>
2: what? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Travis, you're closer to true. Gable. You're closest <laughs> to Gable. <laughs> does
1: does it have to? Does it has nothing to do with the weave? Though it was just like it was just it was just also there. Oh, fun! That's fun. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun that that's that we know that
0: that's also there also the weave is magical i don't know what kind but that's also part of what happened so <laughs> just
1: we- also a different thing uh, just a fun cool different thing that no one else needs to worry about but us, don't
0: worry about it if you want to worry about it we can talk about it but also you don't need to i don't want to burden you
3: There is an overwhelming number of concerns set before us, so I I believe if that is your desire, we can table that conversation. Great. Unless there are any other measures that folk present would like to take to investigate the weave, I believe it might be time to move on. Leo Toa does leave that hanging in the air if there's anything more that you would like to do you know poke it prod it what have you
2: you may do that john takes a big old sniff of both weaves
3: i mean worth a shot yeah make a daunting perception because why not <laughs> oh. with my,
2: what if, with my what two if, dice two green yeah, dice what if,
0: you know john it sniffs it Sniffs the magic. What if he gets a good little, little sniffing?
2: Oh, wait, daunting. That's another. Sniff
1: the magic.
2: Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's going to be two. Yeah. One failure and three threats. Yeah.
3: Uh, there, there, there ain't John
0: nothing on there. Sneezing,
3: Whoa, yeah, the, sneezing. One of one of them had in the you know excitement, moving tables aside and whatnot. Uh, a pepper shaker was was poured over, and one had some pepper on it. And it does do a <laughs> sneeze, but yeah, th- there's <laughs> there's sneeze. nothing there's nothing by smell
2: uh, that you
3: can determine <laughs> about them.
2: John, it licks the the feather weave. it
0: no, it nope, stop.
2: Nope, nope. <laughs> My it does back. taste
3: peppery. <laughs> um, you yeah. So like okay. Looking so that's at that, gonna
2: be that's gonna be two failures and a threat.
3: Okay, so there was one bit like a, a, one of the red hot pepper flakes, and like you you got a you got a good one. You got a fresh one, so it is a little bit spicy in there now. Freshflake, um, but right.
2: yeah. Oh, that's some mm-hmm. spicy weave. <laughs> Mamma mia. Uh, (laughs) That's a weave. uh,
3: From uh, Japan. Uh, So, yeah, you really don't have (laughs) any new indications based on that investigation. We are not going to know what this weave is capable of, what sets it apart from traditional weave, and really what the feathers and folks surrounding them intended to do with it. And we won't be able to suss that out right now. I do believe, based on the investigations we have done so far, there is no reason not to honor our deal as set. At this, Sifa nods. But that leaves the audience that we have acquired to be pleased. As much as I truly love and respect the captains that have gathered under my banner, they will need a demonstration that everything is served well, and word is not going to cut what they are looking for alone. Perhaps as
1: uh, a gesture of good faith, and quite honestly, a a way to um, appease some of my own curiosity we retain some of the weave for ourselves for further study and of course in in addition to a slight reduction of the payment equal to the amount of weave that we retain
3: at this leo toa looks you up and down and goes remarkable i can't tell it was worth a shot, Matago, but obviously we're not going for that deal. We know that you have some of that weave still in your hold already. Hum, excuse me. Uh, when you don't remember, but when you sold the weave, you decided not to sell all of it. You retained enough mm, uh, that would okay. be enough to oh, okay. fabricate a new sail for a ship that is smaller That's right. than the Uhuru, like. So what I have projected right. onto Johnny, and I hope is okay, is that Travis is like, I'm just I'm going to make some money on this, and it, like it didn't work because Leotoa and the spies of the Tempest Armada do know that you have some of the weave still.
1: Well, thank you for making me look smarter.
2: <laughs> it's not um, hard,
1: and I'm willing to do it. Yeah,
3: when you're starting, when you're
1: starting from zero,
2: <laughs> real easy to get to one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's a lot easier to get from to one from zero than it is to get from I am too stupid to even <laughs> fucking
3: I did I did tweet earlier today uh, that if there is a trivial pursuit based on my shows that I would lose in a competition against any of our fans. Mm-hmm. Like oh, any absolutely. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel good to know that I might be able to beat all of you. Absolutely, you would. Well, I'm certainly not a fan of this show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: More of
1: a prisoner of it. No. <laughs> my watch is never ending. <laughs> uh, well, then, then... <laughs> you know you caught me uh but perhaps you could just does does everyone know do all of these people know that we kept some i mean now they do definitely like leo toa has just said well about. i mean like the the everyone else because we could still just say that we we don't have to say that was originally part of the deal and we could just say oh hey here's what we're gonna do to like
0: who is like oh but we were smart and now we have some
3: I I think the crew of the Uhuru knows whether or not the other ships in the Tempest Armada know is like, I, I, I don't think there would be a reason to distribute that information throughout the Armada. So I'm pretty sure that it's probably just the Tempest and the crew of the Tempest, whatever spies they employed. Cause we could just say that,
1: you know, still say the same thing, but not change the deal at all.
3: I believe it is going to take a more dramatic presentation, and if present company doesn't mind a little gambling, I do have a suggestion.
1: The only thing I mind about a little gambling is that it's
3: simply not enough. Ormar, it does strike me that it has been too long since you and I have had a dance. Oh. Um... With this, Oromar does one of the gestures that Dref definitely thought to give him, which is raising an eyebrow. So I think we can cut to uh, non-narrative scenesmanship uh, for, for this next bit. I think there is a discussion about what, a tornado calling between the Tempest Armada and the Uhuru might look like to rectify the issues that you have. Essentially, if you think you can explain away that, like, although it's not like traditional weave, it does still work. And the only issue is that the Uhuru has, quote, unquote, deceived the Armada that needs to be put to bed and there is a disagreement between the two parties on how to do that. What the Armada is putting forward is a reduction in price, taking half of the favors back from the heart of the Bandit Queen, leaving you with only 50 favors of the Tempest Armada, but still delivering to you all of the gold that has been promised here. Uh, The Uhuru... Uh, I think can have the position uh, unless you would, and you can tell me if you would like to propose a different deal. Cause we can always do that. The Uhuru being the deal doesn't change because what we gave you is a functional product and that's what you bought. Also you bought that at a steep goddamn discount and you don't have to pay all of that at once. So what are you complaining about? Does that deal seem fair to all of you or do you want a needle for more? Because you know, You're allowed to needle.
1: I would obviously want to needle. My concern, I don't want to, I want to needle as far as I can without really making anyone angry because I don't want things to turn south. Travis. But you know, I'm always trying to juice those numbers.
3: Yeah, you are a canny social navigator and very much uh, in the bet that you placed back in Wolf's Tooth, like I think you know how far you can take things taking advantage of the spirit of competition. If you would like to make a negotiation role, I think that is a skill in this game. We can judge like based on how that's like success, like Travis like put forward, like what if we did this? I, I think the atmosphere in this room is, you know, Sifa suggested this because, this is just putting on a show. It really doesn't matter very much where these numbers land um, because all they need to do is mollify the angry pirates who think they've been cheated when they haven't been um so this is going to be an average negotiation check for you to get a little bit more
1: okay, I will do that. just gotta open the app and my character sheet. <laughs> That is one failure and one advantage.
3: So, not not today. (laughs) I think you put forward a number and you go too high. You overjudge the situation. You're like, well, if we win, I think we could get 4,000 more gold bars. That seems reasonable to me. And like everybody's like, absolutely not. But you do have an advantage. So it's that sort of thing where that gets shut down and then you propose something that seems insignificant and small, but that's only compared to the value that you had put forward before. So what is the little tiny thing that Travis manages to get stacked on top of the Uhuru's pot?
0: Get the crew of the glass to to clean the Uhuru.
3: Oh, yes. That's fun. <laughs> is that what you're going to do? Because I yeah, love let's that. let's do that. That's fun. <laughs> All right. So the the stakes are the Tempest Armada will cut in half the number of favors owed to the Uhuru if they can win a tornado calling. And if the Uhuru is victorious, the deal stands and the crew of the glass have to clean the ship very thoroughly, like deep clean the ship, which I love
2: I love that because it gives us a night off to enjoy Bathroom Barry's musical. <gasps> Ooh.
3: Yes! Oh, well, that's the thing. They not only clean the ship, but they have to build the set to his specifications <laughs> for the performance.
0: Oh, God, um, they have to build yeah. the gobos. Barry's yeah. vision has
3: far outstripped his budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, though. Great, great. I absolutely adore that. I think, like, we can see in the time that has passed, some bottles of wine have been brought in. People are generally feeling good. And the bandit queen claps her hands and goes, well, it's decided then. Uh, Tomorrow we will see you for the tornado calling. Mr. Madigo, I assume you would like the calling to take place in the evening?
1: Wait. When does evening start? because the evening's before sundown and I'm snake in day now
3: I, I think when I say evening, I mean that's like just after the sun has gone down. this is okay. wild. I didn't know that I had different perceptions of evening uh than uh, okay all right, learning things yeah, at night basically <laughs> is what me, she is suggesting okay
1: Cause to me evening, is what comes between afternoon and night. So there's part of evening that is still light out, and part of evening that is dark out. Huh? That makes sense. Can't argue with it. And would won't. you say? Would you say five p.m. is? What What would you call that? It.
3: I mean, it's spring now, so this is probably closer to six, right? Like a spring evening. Well, I just mean in the real world.
1: Oh, oh, you, oh, you're talking about the real world.
3: Uh, yeah, it, evening is for me when, like, the sun it, it is, like, it does cover the in-between period, but I do consider it, like, early on. So, like, the sun has gone down. It's like primetime TV. So, it's that, it's mm, that like, five to, to, to nine slot. And nine is really what I start thinking about as, like, night, you know? That's when you get to the deep heavy I night. agree. I agree.
1: Okay. What's then yes up? is the answer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're, Excellent you're,
1: time. We I just had a different real world interpretation of what evening is. <laughs> but now it's been cleared. And yeah, we're good. <laughs> Who's well, talking? I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine since the glass... Everyone draws their guns. (laughs) Points them directly at, you know, half the people are pointing directly at your right ear. Half the people are pointing directly at your left ear. What will you do, listener?
3: (laughs) I imagine since the glass has been thrown into this wager, they will probably be offering their own competitors as well. But uh, I see no reason not to face you and your captain's council against us and whomever volunteers. With that, the bandit queen starts to get up and Oromar moves very quickly over to her side and holds out a hand to help lift her to her feet. There is a moment between them. They look in each other's eyes and the bandit queen takes that moment and then turns away as though she is going to leave and Orimar squeezes her hand and stops her from turning away and she turns back pulling her hand back and looks to Orimar expectantly wanting to see what he has to say And Oromar steps back. Everyone in the room, it feels as though there's a bit of electricity in the air. You can almost taste it. And Oromar extends a hand in front of himself as though he is holding on to something. And Gable and Jonnet, you feel... You know, on a roller coaster, when you like top over that top crest and then like the world drops out from under you as you plunge, you feel a bit of that. As the energy in the room starts to flex into a nexus held in Oromar's hand. Wind starts to swirl around the room any papers or, or light objects. The weave gets kicked up in this extreme explosion of wind. You can feel almost a heat impacts everyone. Like Everyone has to step back and brace themselves a little bit. And then, looking in Oromar's hand, you can see flickering in just a little bit There is some of that warping, that lensing that makes looking at Gable like staring at a magic eye. And Gable, all of the hair on your body stands on end instantly. You feel an incredibly panicked feeling deep in your meat, like this is instinctual and animal, focused on it completely. You know that what is happening right now is dangerous. Make a perception check.
0: Ugh. My perception's pretty. Bad. This
3: is this is hard, but we'll see. <laughs>
0: That's two failures. Whatever.
3: Two failures. <laughs> so this don't worry, this wasn't a big deal. Uh this was just for you. You don't know right now. If Oromar knows what he is doing is dangerous, and the only way that you know that what he's doing is dangerous is you feel it instinctually, what do you do to stop him?
0: Oh, oh. Gable tries to make a sign to him, but in the sign kind of imbues a little bit of magic into it just to kind of like Ooh. flick him on the ear.
3: Yeah, I love that. Uh, cast divine. How do I keep the um, uh, dice? Away? <laughs> yeah, don't put the dice away. Also, uh, uh no, this does cost two strain, and so strain. did the other two spells that you cost earlier. Uh, yeah, so you should be down. Six. So
0: you're, I'm, um, yeah, all right. And, this and all that evaporates at, at the
3: end of this scene, but just yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, how hard is this? Purples. This is easy, I think. Okay, like this is a uh, not.
0: That's two successes.
3: Okay, so you do a sign at Oromar, but it is not in handspeak. Handspeak is kind of like the dialect of sign language that is super popular on skyships and at many ports where skyships are around. Like it is, you know, like a colloquial ASL, and like there are many sign languages, but you do a sign that is basically like. An angelic divine sign. It would be the same thing as speaking the divine language. You do this sign and it is connected to the tendrils of feather that you still have. And it has an effect. You convey the emotion that you are having to Oromar through that. You are speaking to somebody, but instead of like speaking with words, you, you speak directly to their soul, conveying your emotion as efficiently and completely as possible. And the thing that you feel overwhelmingly that you didn't put to words and didn't have the time to rationally sit with, but definitely gets conveyed in what you sign is we will be seen. That strikes Oromar, and he stops, and the lensing disappears, and the wind settles, and the energy that was filling the air drops. And with that, Oromar, you know, straightens up to his full height, looking as powerful and regal as he has ever looked. And he stands before Sifa. There is another moment that passes between them. And uh, if y'all want to try and discern what the looks could mean, you can roll for it. Yeah,
2: Jonnet. Yeah, Jonnet. Never hurts to roll. Try and figure things out. <laughs> uh, I assume it's hard What's or something. What's the difficulty?
3: Thing? And It is hard. It's going to be hard no matter what skill <laughs> right. you go with. Uh, this, it can either be perception or yeah perception is i think it's perception is uh, the way to go maybe streetwise
0: <laughs> i mean that's emotional intelligence
3: yeah Writing? yeah perception um, or streetwise whichever is better
0: math math mathematics and what oh, was the what was the difficulty
2: again gourd. hard 3 purple so that is a total of four threats <laughs> four threats yeah
3: Okay, Uh, Jonnet has just really started on his journey of adulthood. In in a way, Jonnet has had interactions with, with, with several characters that you know, he could have like crushy feelings or, or be attracted. And Jonnet knows about romance. Jonnet had parents. Jonnet had adults in his life who who talked about it. Jonnet must have heard stories and read stories. And the thing about love, when you encounter it as an outsider, when it is a concept that you only theoretically know it can exist but haven't truly experienced it for yourself, at least romantic love, is that it is so difficult to discern, and it's disquieting to really see. When you look at it and take it in, all you can imagine is, could I ever really feel that way? And what you know about these two is that there are some powerful emotions that are swirling between them. But they are so alien to you, there's no way you could begin to unravel them. What about you, Travis?
1: I got uh, one success and
3: two threats. Well, Travis, you have so much experience with this that you recognize this kind of expression right away. This is two people who care very, very deeply for each other. There are things that they want to say, things that they want to do, but the distance that is between them is not a physical distance. They are separated by truths right now. The gap is so wide, and you can feel a longing, a thin longing that stretches between them, but it has to weather the enormous gravity of the things that keep them apart as well. There is hope that dances behind both of their eyes, but a cold certainty that lurks just beneath that bright thing. And Sifa turns away and says as much to Oromar as to herself there is no time to unravel that now and steps out of the room followed by her counsel. Oromar's posture does not waver. There is no sighing Because Oromar does not need to sigh, just as he does not need to breathe. see slam in the kitchen of the uhuru um, with a big pot uh that is boiling in front of him he's got his uh classic chef's hat uh on and he's wearing an apron uh that says kiss the cook obviously um and he doesn't have like anything visible else on except for that uh, because his bulging oiled muscles are just like gleaming in, in the faint light of the interior of the ship. Uh, Slam is like sliding for uh, like uh, just a bunch of cut vegetables uh, into it awkwardly with his too huge to be functional muscles. Um goes, oh, this is great. Now to season it. Uh, and he takes a shaker of pepper and uh, put like uh, shakes the pepper into the water, and then reaches out for a shaker of salt and begins very slowly about to salt the water. Um, okay.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> what, what are you what doing is, there, pal?
3: What What does uh, Travis look like?
1: Oh, he's um, a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, it's a helpful snake. Uh, I was just about to uh, season this delicious soup. Look, as you should know, and as is true and canon in this universe, soup is a very spooky food, and it should not be seasoned or consumed. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well,
2: wait a minute. Uh, we can't eat soup? That's no. That's right. That's right, Slam. Hi, it's Johnny Kessler. <laughs> Hi, yeah, Johnny Kessler of the Uhuru. I know we've had a lot of fun today, seasoning so, uh, soup and uh, being prepared to eat that soup. But soup on a, an airship that is currently in the air is super dangerous. What is soup other than a spilling uh, event n- waiting to happen? And when you're in the air and moving around and in combat, the last thing that you want to do is what, Travis. Spill soup, spill sloop, because spilling sloop leads to slipping on soup, and that is no good. Uh, oh, wow,
4: I didn't even notice. My body
2: is badly covered in burns from all the spilling soup. Yeah, and you know what they say, soup slips, sinks ship. slip, <laughs> <shimps. Exactly. laughs> slip, sink, ships. Soup slips, sinks ships, exactly. Soup slips, sinks ships. Shrimp ships, shrimp shimp. shimp, shimp,
0: shimp. Oh, are we talking about how sloop, saves skips, skimp? skimp? <laughs> oh, wow, it's Gable!
2: Gable!
0: slam i hope you weren't about to salt that soup because i think what the prompt was trying to get at was that when a liquid becomes salty becomes part of the ocean and that's frightening in in, and magic in a way i
4: assume (laughs) oh yeah i assume that would be a good lesson to learned too. I, I, I was pretty focused on the soup slips sink slips, but we can add yeah. salt I, soup. No, slip, no slam. It's slip, shimp
2: shimp.
1: Shimp
4: shimp. shimp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is there a reason why you can't use real seawater as like a brine to cook? Too salty. Is that it? I don't know. You'd have I to cut it with some creek water.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could probably cut it with some fresh water. I mean, assuming real soup, se- like... Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, uh, do you mean outside of the cannon? Yeah. I've got to assume someone does it.
1: Because it's are, all like, right there. We've soup. got the... The the <laughs> the earth is 70% stock, you yeah, know? And, <laughs> and, and our bodies have salt
0: in them, so we're kind of soup, too.
2: Huh. <laughs> Huh. I guess everything is soup.
4: Yeah, and people are
2: dangerous. So I think this brings us back to the sloop slip sink ships assault. I, I can't it's like you're not listening, Slam. It's shimp shimp, <laughs> shimp shimp. Shimp. <laughs> shimp shimp, shimp shimp simp. Uh, we'll get there, buddy.
4: <laughs> well, I feel like I've learned an important if unclear lesson today. Mm-hmm. And well, I guess it's good. up I'm to glad. me to Don't ever let this happen again
2: Don't ever let this happen again
0: Don't ever let Shifts happen again
1: Simps Soup, simps, simps simps
2: again
3: Great I'm glad that we did uh, that in like Simlish or whatever it's called <laughs> That's fair <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing Mel D'Amato, Allie Grower, and Drew Merzieski as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like All My Fantasy Children. All My Fantasy Children is a character creation, world-building, and storytelling podcast powered by you! Each week, best friends Aaron catano Saez and Jeff Stormer take a listener-submitted prompt and, using some of their favorite tabletop RPGs, create an original fantasy character. Along the way, they populate a shared universe one story at a time. They share laughs, stories, and verbal hugs along the way. Janet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore. Or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who could be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A R N E p-a-r-r-o-t-t and you can find more of his work at atptunes.com this episode was edited by casey tony who can be found on twitter at casey pony spelled c-a-s-e-y p-o-n-e-y or on his own podcast neo scum our logo was designed by fiona shea who can be found on twitter at fiona pup the world of sphere was inspired in part by the music of the decemberists and the card game illimat property of together studios The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes.
4: strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near the rise, twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, Who know
1: we can never deny the call of the sky.